2: On apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: the 90s were one of the greatest decades in history they gave us things like the tamagotchi pogs dunkaroos and blockbuster membership cards and some would say the 90s were the last great decade for comedies i feel like there was just a specific formula for a 90s comedy which made them so great and even stand the test of time till now So that's what I want to talk about on this episode of Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, the funniest movies from the 90s. I'm also going to break down once and for all what the rule on spoilers is and a movie review of a movie called First Cow. Got all that for you on this week's episode. Thanks for hitting subscribe. Thanks for hitting download. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to hit that five-star rating. Write a quick little review, and without any further ado, Let's get started.
0: In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDB with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast.
3: The 90s, what a great time to be alive. Some would argue the greatest time in history to ever be alive. I would argue that because I was born in the 90s. I'm a 90s kid born in 1991. And really the only thing by saying that you're a 90s kid now is admitting that you're either 30 or about to be 30, which is approaching for me. So what I wanted to do is talk about the funniest movies of the 1990s. And I've compiled my list. I have my top 10. First of all, let's just talk about what defines a great 90s movie and why I think That there was something different about the genre in the 90s. Now, it sounds weird to say, but I kind of feel like 90s movies, comedies in particular, were a little bit more wholesome. It's not to say they didn't use bad language. That's not to say there weren't raunchy movies in the 90s. But there was something about how a 90s movie was angled. And looking at this list of movies I put together, they all have a unique characteristic to where there's something about them that makes them feel like they could have only come out and worked in the 90s. I think since then, movies have gotten a lot more raunchier and crude. You could even argue that maybe the writing has just gotten a little bit lazy over the years, but... All of these movies that made my list, I feel like, have a sort of charm to them. And let's talk about the criteria first that I set out when making this list. I felt like a great movie from the 90s had to be something that was highly quotable and It also has to have a very good rewatchable rate, meaning that you could pick it up now and watch it multiple times. You also have to consider the soundtrack, just iconic moments and characters that you could remember from these movies. So all those things is what I considered into picking these movies and to where they landed on the list. So let's get right into it. At number 10 from 1991, the year I was born, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze Now, it doesn't get more 90s than the Ninja Turtles. And the thing I loved about this movie is they had to go in a different direction from the first one. If you watch the original Ninja Turtles, it's a lot more dark and doesn't even feel like a kid's movie. So there's a lot more violence in that one. They actually have weapons that they use a lot more. Not only that freaking shredder gets thrown into a garbage truck and just crushed. And they're kind of okay with it at the end of that. So when they worked on the second one, they knew that it was going to be geared towards kids, obviously. And they wanted to make it more family-friendly. So what they did is took away all the Ninja Turtles weapons and gave them funny props to fight with instead, making it less violent and more appealing to kids. It's more appealing to kids, they're able to sell more merchandise. That's the theory behind it, but I feel like in doing that, they made this one a lot funnier than the first one. Whether it's the visual gags or the quotes in this one, it's something that just always clicked with me as being one of my favorite 90s movies. And as a kid, it's the whole reason my family called me Mikey. Because Michelangelo was my favorite. And up until I was probably in college, everybody called me Mikey because of Michelangelo. And I think the best quote of the entire movie comes when they try to say Raphael and they get into the a little too Raff scene. The perimeter's quiet. Yeah, a little too quiet. Mm. <gasps> Look, <Huh>?
0: it's Raph. <gasps> yeah, a little too Raff. You guys, oh, knock it off. Brother. Keep your eyes peeled.
3: And then you also have a very 90s appearance with Vanilla Ice. Like it doesn't get more 90s than the Ninja Turtles and Vanilla Ice doing Ninja Rap. Ninja, ninja rap. Go, 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 Go,
4: Ninja, Go Ninja, Go, Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go, ninja, Go
3: And number nine, I'm going with the first Adam Sandler movie in this list. And it's going to be Big Daddy from 1999. Arguably his last good film for a while. I think right after this movie, he caught it into a space to where he was just doing kind of the same thing he was doing in the 90s, but we got older and maybe found it a little less funny. So this one was less wacky than all the other ones that made this list, but there's just something wholesome about Big Daddy. It's a movie that no matter when it comes on TV, I'll make a point to sit down and watch it. I think the funniest scene has to be when he goes to McDonald's and realizes they've changed the time for breakfast. And I think of that every time I go to McDonald's and try to get breakfast. Is it 10, 30, 11? I can never remember. But that scene still makes me laugh. Lasagna, what the hell's the matter with you? We'll take uh, hotcakes and sausage. Uh,
1: sorry, sir. We stopped serving breakfast. What
3: are you talking about? We're four seconds late.
1: No, you're 30 minutes and four seconds late. We stopped serving breakfast at 10.30. <laughs>
3: No, no, no. Don't cry. I'm sorry. I wasn't cursing at you. I was cursing at the lady. Nice parenting. Hey, thanks. Are you my therapist. Take a walk. You want a Happy Meal? We'll get you one of those Happy Meals. You got a Happy Meal? Can we get a Happy Meal? <laughs> Will somebody get you the a Happy Meal? And I don't know why, but I always remember the weirdest quotes from movies. And there's a scene where Julie and his son is driving him insane, wanting him to play the kangaroo song. And he just loses his mind. Is like, all right, and yells at him. And he's like, you were normal yesterday. For some reason, I always remember that quote. So that's a very memorable one for me. I know a little bit obscure, but I love it. At number eight, this movie changed my life. I think it was one of the funniest things I had ever seen. And I know I was a young kid and probably shouldn't have watched this movie. But I think like a lot of people, they did anyway. Didn't listen to their parents. I remember the VHS tape having a warning right there on the front of it. And this movie kind of messed with my mind, turned me into a very kind of foul-mouthed kid for a little bit. And it felt like I knew I was watching something that was highly unapproved of. And the movie is South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut from 1999, a fantastic movie. And Trey Parker and Matt Stone are two of the funniest people. And the cool thing about them is they had a lot of great movies in the 90s, and they tried, you know having hollywood movies with big hollywood actors and they are very much just anti-hollywood people so when they did those movies they found that they didn't like working with actors they didn't like their attitudes they didn't like their agents they didn't like that whole world so being able to make a south park movie to where they're in total control of their own characters and all the voices that is what they really love so all the other movies they did later on like team america that's why they did it because they didn't want to work with actors but not only is the movie hilarious, the soundtrack is also amazing and they were even nominated for an Oscar for best original song for the song they wrote Blame Canada. Blame Canada.
2: It seems that everything's gone wrong since Canada came Blame Canada. Blame Canada.
0: They're not even a real country anyway.
3: And there's a great story that they went to the Oscars in dresses and they dropped acid before they went because they're very much, again, anti-Hollywood, they didn't want to make a big thing of it, they kind of wanted to turn it into a joke, and in true fashion they got there and everybody hated them for it. But you gotta love those guys. At number seven is an unlikely comedy duo with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker from 1998. Gotta put Rush Hour in here. There's nothing like a good buddy cop movie and one that just has a lot of memorable quotes. And this is another movie that I feel I pull a lot of my own obscure quotes from and things that I just say in normal life. And there's a scene where Chris Tucker goes into the convenience store after handcuffing Jackie Chan to the steering wheel. And he comes out and it's like, hey, I got you a beef and bean burrito. I say that all the time and I don't know why. It's because of this movie. There's also just the great scene where they first meet and then later when he teaches them how to dance. A lot of funny moments in this movie. And I know they made part two. They made part three. But the original OG Has to be one of the best. At number six, we have our first Jim Carrey appearance, which I feel he just dominated the 90s. There's a lot of Jim Carrey movies you could put up here. But at number five, I'm going with Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls from 1995. And as a kid, I actually watched these movies out of order. So I watched this one first and then the first part afterwards. And I was like, oh, the first one isn't even as funny as the second one. Again, kind of like the Ninja Turtles, I feel like they made this one a little bit more kid-friendly than the first one because they knew that kids loved Ace Ventura, and they had to kind of clean it up a bit and take out a lot of, like, the sexual stuff. So I feel on this one, they kind of turned Ace Ventura even more so into a cartoon character, which he actually had a cartoon back in the 90s, too. Favorite quote of the movie is probably when he totally trashes that Jeep and then goes to try to park it and just annihilates it, and he's like, Like a glove! Like a glove! Just a totally ridiculous movie in every way, and I love it. It's totally 90s, and there we go with our first Jim Carrey appearance. At number five, another Adam Sandler entry from 1996, I'm putting Happy Gilmore. I think what makes Happy Gilmore such a great Adam Sandler movie is not only he funny in it, but it has so many great side characters from Shooter McGavin, to his grandma, to Chubbs, to the IRS agent, to the guy who gets paid to heckle him at the golf tournament. Even Ben Stiller working at the nursing home has one of the greatest quotes of the entire movie.
0: My fingers hurt. Oh, well, now your back's gonna hurt
4: because you just pulled landscaping duty.
3: Hmm. Anybody else's fingers hurt? I didn't think so. But of course, the greatest cameo comes from the one and only Bob Barker. <laughs>
0: You want a piece of me? I don't want a piece of
4: you. I want the whole thing.
3: There we go. That's number five. At number four is not only one of my favorite comedies from the 90s, but really one of my favorite movies of all time. And the movie is Friday. Ice Cube and Chris Tucker together are two of the funniest comedy duos ever. And the sad thing about Friday is they were never able to make a sequel with them two again. They've tried here and there. And there was even like talks of a reboot. Up until like last year, but unfortunately, John Witherspoon, who plays Pops in the movie, passed away. So, it doesn't look like that will ever really happen. But this is hands down one of the most quoted movies of all time, and there's so many references from this that you probably don't even realize are a Friday quote. But if you've ever heard the phrase "By Felicia," that's where this comes from. and that's from Friday.
4: Hello, Felicia. Remember that. Remember it. Write it down. Take a picture. Bye,
3: but it's not only just Ice Cube and Chris Tucker that make this movie. Again, it's the side characters that make this. You got Debo, Big Worm, Miss and Mr. Parker. There's just so many great characters in this. And the movie is just so funny that even like my mom gets the humor of this movie. And she quotes this movie. Every
4: time I come in the kitchen, you're in the kitchen eating up all the food, all the chicken, all the pig feet, all the collard green, all the hog moths i want to eat some of them chitlin i
3: love pig feet which is the funniest thing ever when you hear my mom quote this movie i have to get like a, a sound recording of her doing this she'll quote it at work and it trips her coworkers out because they're like you know that movie that's how just funny this movie and kind of transcends a bunch of people so this one had to make the top five at number three let's go to 1998 the movie is half-baked starring dave Chappelle. Now, this is easily his best movie. And for Dave Chappelle being such a funny comedian, really the best to ever do that in our lifetime, at least in my opinion, I feel he never really translated and was ever to get in like to the whole Hollywood scene because he did some comedies here and there, but nothing that was ever a like, huge hit. Now, this one he actually wrote with his comedy partner, Neil Brennan. So I think that shows a lot throughout this movie that you can tell it's stuff that he found funny and was able to really kind of bring to life. And if you don't remember, he was actually in A Star Is Born a couple years ago, so maybe comedy isn't his thing. Maybe he can do more dramatic roles, but this one still makes me laugh. It's so ridiculous. It's so funny. But my favorite scene has to be whenever Scarface quits his job. Still waiting on that heifer, Julio. You're cool. If we, I'm out. Either that or when Brian, who is played by Jim Brewer, gives the list for the snacks he wants from the grocery store. Get some sour cream and onion chips with some dip, man. Some beef jerky. Also celery, grape jelly. Uh, Captain Crunch with blue Crunch Berries. Pizzas. We need two big pizzas, man. Everything on them with water. A whole lot of water and onions. That's it? So that's at number three. So we've made it to the top two. I feel like these could only belong to really these two movies. And I had to debate which one would go where. So at number two from 1995, I'm putting Billy Madison. I just feel like this is Adam Sandler's best movie and really at his peak of being hilarious. And the movie is so dumb and so ridiculous. And he does these dumb things that I don't even know why we found them so funny when we first saw this. But... It is.
4: Shampoo is
3: better. I go on first and clean the hair. Conditioner is better. I leave the hair silky and smooth. Oh,
4: really, fool? Really? (laughs) Stop looking at
1: me, swan. You
3: know, Adam Sandler is just kind of known for his lowbrow comedy and... We all kind of knew and loved him for that in the 90s. And for some reason now, I feel like he gets a lot of crap for his movies not being as great as they once were or just being totally dumb. But I was like, what What was he doing in the 90s? That's what we all loved him for. And now we're giving him crap for now. So I hate that he just gets slaughtered by the critics all the time. I think the only thing he really lacks in his new movies is they don't have as much heart as they once used to. And maybe they were just a little bit more fresh and funny in the 90s. And I put this one as my favorite just because this was his first movie as a lead actor. And I think he did better than everybody was expecting him to do because he was just fired off of SNL. And he was kind of like, what am I going to do? Comes out with this movie and just was like, okay, you guys don't want me on SNL? I'm going to go be a movie star. And whether or not you like or don't like his new movies, he still makes a ton of money and is really one of the highest paid actors of all time. And at number one, we're going with the 1994 classic, Dumb and Dumber. Yes, I did it. So there's a lot of reasons why I think this is the funniest movie of the 90s. Mainly because I think it set the standard for the comedy genre at this time. Now, it came out in 1994, and I would say without this one... Adam Sandler wouldn't have had as great a career in the 90s. And of course, Jim Carrey wouldn't have had all his other comedies. And 1994 is a very significant year for Jim Carrey because it was really when he hit the scene and hit the ground running and became a huge movie star. So right before this, in 1994, he had Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, the original one. And he made that movie like it was known after that, that he is the comedy guy. He's the go to lead actor for that. He was already in talks to make Dumb and Dumber at a much lower salary, but all of a sudden, bam, he's a movie star. So they had to go from offering him thousands of dollars to a cool, hard $7 million to do Dumb and Dumber. That's a lot of money considering that Jeff Daniels, who plays Harry in the movie, only got $50,000 because he wasn't really known for his comedies at the time. He was mainly a dramatic actor. But you put them two together and you get comedy gold. So many great moments in this movie from the most annoying sound in the world. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world?
0: <laughs> guys, guys,
3: guys. They're orange and blue tuxes or probably my favorite scene is when they get pulled over.
1: Come on, give me that booze, you little pumpkin pie haircutted freak. Come on. No, wait, 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 wait. No, sir, don't. Don't drink. You'd keep your mouth shut if you knew it was good for you, buddy. Tic-tac, sir?
3: And why I think this movie works so well and it's still funny today is because they were able to make these characters completely not self-aware in any way. So it never feels like they're in on the joke. They're just living their lives and doing these ridiculous things. But to them, it isn't outlandish. To them, it isn't crazy. Everything they do is just kind of normal. So that they play it so straight-faced and don't even feel like they're doing a comedy in this movie is what makes this movie so great. Comedy gold, easily 5 out of 5 sheepdogs. So there we go the funniest movies from the 90s again that doesn't cover every single one there could be a lot of honorable mentions here even just from jim carrey and adam sandler movies like the Waterboy, the mask and then other great comedies are like american pie from 1999 mall rats private parts blue streak one of my favorites can't hardly wait and then austin powers there's just so many great movies from the 90s what you take away from this segment is sit down grab your favorite 90s comedy and just laugh your face off all right
6: Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess, the 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again
3: All right, so we're going to talk about movie spoilers, and I brought my lovely co-host on, fiance Kelsey, onto the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. So I wanted to bring this topic up because I saw this study come out this week that if somebody knows a spoiler to a movie, they're more likely to go and see it, which I thought was interesting because you often think that, oh, if you know the ending to a movie, you don't want to see it. But what they kind of found in this study is that a spoiler helps a movie make money because people know that they're going into a movie that's already kind of good and they're kind of getting something, I guess, exciting or it's like there's something to it that I know like Marvel really tries a hard time of keeping all the spoilers out of everything. But it actually helps them out when spoilers get out. So what I wanted to kind of discuss and get your thoughts on, too, of how you feel about movie spoilers. Now, some people say two weeks for big movies, some people say a year or even like five years What do you feel about movie spoilers?
5: It depends on the spoiler. Okay. Depends on how big of a spoil it is. Like if it's ruining the whole plot twist for me, I'm probably just going to wait till the movie comes out now. I'm not going to spend money on a ticket and go see it. But if it's like a small detail, I'm fine with that.
3: I think what everybody tries to keep from knowing is mainly deaths in movies. Yeah. And I feel that, that doesn't really take away from the movie because any kind of big spoiler is probably going to be that somebody dies. I think when the Avengers came out, that was kind of what they tried to keep from everybody. You didn't know, I guess, who died going into it, really. But being that they did try to keep the the spoilers out, you knew it was something that dramatic. So I don't know. I feel if I know a spoiler going into a movie, I'm watching it and I know... Even though that I know what's coming next, I still find it enjoyable.
5: Okay. Let me give you an example. I won't say the spoiler, but a movie we watched this year, Crazy Stupid Love. Okay. There's a pretty big twist in that. That's not a death. Would you still have watched that movie?
3: That's a great point because I feel with that one, it's pivotal to the plot and not allowing somebody to experience a plot line like that is very important. So I feel a spoiler like that has to be kept away. That movie came out in 2011. So that's almost 10 years ago. Yeah, I feel like I if I knew that plot point.
5: Yeah, we won't even. We still won't. <laughs> we won't, say even, it right still won't even say it
3: here. <laughs> okay, so that's a that's a good point. Thank you. But if that came out beforehand, who knows? Maybe more people would have gone to see that movie. It took me nine years to see it. Apparently,
5: I feel like that takes such a bit. You watch the movie differently if you know this that spoiler is coming, and you're just kind of waiting for it. Like I feel like that if it's something so pivotal to the storyline that it's a twist. I think okay. if it's a plot twist.
3: I think that's what. The there main spoiler thing is if it's a twist at the end of the movie that changes how you interpret it, you got to keep those spoilers out. So have you ever had someone ruin a movie for you?
5: Yes, I did have one. My little brother ruined part of Ford v Ferrari for me, but he also had a really good point, which okay. I should add my brother's 10 and extremely sassy. And just he looked at me and he was like, what? It's a true story. It's it happened. And I was like, OK, fair point, kid.
3: That is an interesting <laughs> point, though. I feel sometimes people say that you can spoil a movie if it happened in real life. I almost feel like you have to hold them to the same standards of if it's just a movie. because I
5: didn't know that.
3: Yeah, and movies like that, they're often based on stories that maybe people are familiar with, but they don't know all the details about it. So revealing a plot line like that, even though it really happened, you can say, oh, it's history. I still feel like that holds the same standards. So That's yes, a good
5: point, though. That one got spoiled for me.
3: I remember, I think I was leaving The Hunger Games. And this is a big thing for me, that ever since this happened, I make a point not to talk about a movie until I'm out of the theater and in my car. And they ruined the ending of The Hunger Games. Like, right as we were walking out, they were... So, the new people are going in, and the people just got the movie walking out. And somebody said a pivotal mm. plot point to that. You got to be careful about that. I know you immediately get out of a movie, and you want to talk about it with ever the person you went to see the movie with, but you can't talk about a movie right after you leave a theater because there's probably people walking into that theater going to see that movie. So that's a PSA. So I want to get into the concrete of what is the golden rule, because I say this podcast is a spoiler free podcast. I want to review movies on here without you having to worry about something getting ruined. Now the golden rule I've kind of had when it comes to spoilers, whether it be like a major plot point or like the ending of a movie is five years. I feel like if you haven't seen a movie in five years, you're probably not going to watch it. And me giving away a plot point to that will either make you want to go see it and it won't really take away anything from that. What do you think about how long you should wait to give a spoiler?
5: I think five years is fair. But again, going back to Crazy Stupid Love, it's been nine years and we still won't say which (laughs) plot twist we're talking about.
3: (laughs) I still think, though, if it was ruined after five years, like that's on me. If I haven't seen a movie in that amount of time, that's still on me. After that amount of time. But also very big movies and very big blockbuster movies. Like the Avengers movies. I almost think you can talk about those in a certain space. So if it's somewhere people are going to where they know. They're going to hear about the movie. I think you can kind of spoil those. Because they're such a big cultural thing. Everybody's going to be talking about them. I think with those kind of movies. You get two weeks.
5: I think that's fair. Because I mean even. This isn't movies. But like TV. Like things get spoiled the next day. Mm -hmm. So I feel like movies like two weeks is pretty fair.
3: I feel, yeah, new movies like that, you get two weeks. Yeah, with TV shows, if anything happens live, you know the next day that people are going to be talking about it when it comes to, like, the Game of Thrones finale. Next day, you can give away spoilers to that.
5: Grey's Anatomy, part of it got spoiled for me. scrolling Instagram (laughs) this morning and E! News gave it away.
3: So I'll always try to give everybody, if we do get into spoilers, a spoiler alert, but also know that just because a movie is ruined for you, and that sucks, I don't feel like it takes away completely of the process of enjoying that movie so anyway we'll keep this a spoiler free podcast but again the rule i'll go by is still that five-year rule and if i have to get into a spoiler i'll give you guys a spoiler alert so there we go all right let's get into a movie review now I want to talk about this movie called first cow that came out this year i was very intrigued by this movie first of all the title first cow you think what could this actually be about is it actually going to be about a cow and I just saw a review from somebody I follow on Instagram Saying this was one of the best movies so far of 2020 So I was like, I gotta watch it It's an A24 film, I'll get into that But before I talk about the movie Here's just a little bit of the trailer
0: You have a cow First cow in the territory It's
3: ain't a place for cows No, it's no place for white men either I sense some
5: opportunity here
3: Good lord, give me another <clears throat> I'll give you six ingots for that last one
5: I taste London
3: in this game. So this movie is from A24, which is just one of my favorite production companies. They've done movies like Uncut Gems, Lady Bird, The Disaster Artist, Eighth Grade, Hereditary. The list goes on and on. They have a reputation of just putting out really good movies, and I think they've developed just a cult following, which I'm a part of, that if I see that their name is on it, I am more likely to watch their movie whether it be their dramas, which are always a little bit more skewed to something that you wouldn't expect to see. Or their dramedies, which are always kind of very indie and lo-fi. I'm just into the style. So, this is an A24 film. I saw the trailer for it and I was like, huh, looks kind of interesting. First of all, the thing I noticed about it is it's shot in 4-3 ratio scale, which, bear with me, normally if you watch something on widescreen, it's sixteen-nine. So that's widescreen. So it's basically shot in old school full screen like you would see something on Instagram in a square. So that kind of stood out to me. And when I'm watching this movie, I was like, there has to be something more about the cow. Maybe the cow has a mind of its own. Maybe the cow becomes possessed or something to where they personify the cow. That wasn't the case with this movie. It's literally about a first cow. So it takes place back in the 1820s. And it's these two guys who pretty much develop a friendship. And they're trying to escape and run away from these bad guys who are trying to kill them. And they stumble upon this cow where it's the only cow that they have access to. And what they are able to do is illegally milk the cow at night and use the milk to bake these little biscuits that they go and sell to other people. Start making a lot of money. And then, of course, eventually they get caught. There's a chase and it all kind of goes from there. So that's pretty much what the movie is about. So it starts out getting you in expecting to be something more about the cow. The cow is just a cow. It's really about the friendship of these two guys and how they kind of develop a bond and develop this business and them just trying to create a life for themselves while running away from people who are trying to hurt them. So I think my problem with the movie is not that it's a bad movie. I don't think that's the case here. I just was expecting something a little bit more and something kind of more to the story of the cow. I don't know why it's called First Cow. The thing I did kind of like about this movie and I'll give it some credit for is that it's not afraid to be a slow-paced movie and I feel sometimes we go into movies just wanting everything so quick and so fast and want to know this in action here I like a movie that can take a breath a little bit and show just like some cinematography show some scenery let things develop I just think this one kind of dwelled in that just a little bit too much it was very much a film's film if that makes sense And from the trailer alone and the Rotten Tomatoes score, which was 96%, a very high score. That's an almost perfect score. And I think this is just one of those other instances to where it's a movie that critics love, but audiences didn't really enjoy because it has like a 60% audience score. I would be a little bit higher than that. I would hate to knock it for being too long, but I just got a little bit bored by the third act. So is it the best movie of 2020? Not even close. I'm trying to get to a point right now to where I'm watching more of Oscar-worthy movies, This Isn't It. But is it a bad movie? I wouldn't say that either. I just think it's not for me, and it's probably not for you, unless you're a fan of those movies that your teacher in elementary school would put on randomly, that they were from the 1800s in black and white And you had really no idea what the movie was about. But for some reason, the teacher loved it and forced us all to watch it. Unless you were a fan of those kind of movies, I don't think you'll like this one. So I think it's a rare miss for A24 on this one. It hooked me in with the trailer. It hooked me in with the poster. But I would say skip it. I give it two out of five buckets of milk. All right. Good to get into some movie news now. My fiance Kelsey is back for this segment. So first bit of movie news is Home Alone turned 30 this year and they're doing a reboot of Home Alone on Disney+, Plus, and the director came out and said that it looks like a waste of time. So it's the original director of Home Alone saying this, and he put so much like detail and was so kind of passionate about that first movie and really is the reason that it was so great. He's kind of upset that he's not in any way associated with the new one, and the thing I feel about the new Home Alone is how are they going to get away with him being Home Alone again? Like It doesn't really make sense of it. Being set in 2020 or whenever modern day, and them forgetting their kid with all the apps and technology, it'd be kind of weird, don't you think?
5: Yeah. The kid could call, their cell phones.
3: They could look at, like, the ring camera and see him home.
5: Yeah, I don't feel like that holds up
3: now. And even from just going from the first to the second one, that's a big drop off. I don't really know why they're rebooting it. So maybe he has a point there. I like the first Home Alone. Are you a fan of it?
5: I am. I'm also just, this could be an entirely separate podcast, but... All of the reboots—is it necessary to reboot everything ever made?
3: No, it gets kind of like uh, it's a little an- tiresome. Another reboot again, especially with—I mean, I get it. There's a demand for movies that people loved, is you know, as a younger, that nostalgia factor of like, okay, we're doing it again. But I feel like that's all it really is. Like you get people on the internet being like, oh, they should make another one of these. But whenever they put them out, they never really live up to the standards.
5: Oh. Like movies, TV, like there's just a reboot of everything. I don't think it's necessary. Chill
3: out on the reboots. Uh, A trailer I think we were both excited about this week is for the new Kristen Stewart Christmas movie coming to Hulu. Yes. We saw this trailer and we're like, we got to watch this. It's a stacked cast. Immediately. And it's called Happiest Season. And we're currently watching Shit's Creek right now. Mm, Can you say that? (laughs) I never really know when it comes to that show. I feel people just call it S-Creek. Whatever. I
5: think you can say it.
3: I mean, I can say it on here, but I don't know. <laughs> are you, it just feels are you weird asking just, if you're
5: allowed to say it? It
3: just feels weird still saying it.
5: It's spelled S-C-H.
3: Okay. Well, anyway, Dan Levy's in this movie. Kristen Stewart. There's a bunch of people. Harry Alison Virgin. And-, and it looks funny. So it's basically a girl who she goes home to see her girlfriend's parents and she realizes that she hasn't told her parents that she's gay.
5: Yes. Her girlfriend hasn't told
3: Yeah, her when parents. she goes home. Sounds like a great premise for a movie and I don't know, it looks funny, don't you it, think?
5: I laughed out loud several times during the like 2 minute trailer, which Kristen Stewart looks great in it, but I'm just going to say Dan Levy stole the trailer. Yeah. I just and especially cuz we're watching that right now, I just think he is hilarious. And he
3: kind of feels like David in it, right? Yes. <laughs> so I think that's going to be great. That comes out on November 25th. There you go. So her
6: parents believe their straight daughter brought home her lesbian friend for Christmas? Not exactly. They also think that I'm straight.
4: Have they ever met a lesbian? And
3: then finally, Chris Pratt has been added to the cast of Thor Love and Thunder. It doesn't come out till February 1st, 2022. But I think that's a pretty good addition. And so it's Chris Pratt, Chris Hemsworth, Christian Bale. They haven't really said what his character is going to be. And Natalie Portman. Great cast. But I really like the Thor movies, and I really like them crossing paths with the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So that's kind of where the Avengers left off, of Star-Lord and Thor kind of battling out against each other. So I think he'll be a good addition to this. Do you like
5: Thor movies? I do.
3: Did you like Ragnarok?
5: Yes. It was funny, right?
3: It was funny. <laughs> I've
5: seen so many Marvel movies over the past. They all
3: kind of blend a little bit together. They, when they do.
5: Just- and I've only seen... I think I've only seen them once, like all of the Marvel movies. That's
3: kind of with me, too. There's very few of them that I've gone back and rewatched. I think Black Panther was one.
5: Avengers. And
3: the Avengers movies leading up to those. I rewatched those a lot. But I feel like Marvel movies are kind of like roller coasters. You get on them, you experience all the ups and downs once, and then you're kind of good. I think the great ones you go back and rewatch. But I feel like you kind of get that one time of enjoying everything, and then sometimes you go back and watch them. Like but, if they're
5: on TV, I would turn it on and like have it on. Yeah, but I haven't actively sat down to rewatch it.
3: For as much as I love superhero movies, I hardly rewatch them at home. Like I'll go see them in theaters opening day, the weekend of, but it's very few that I will actually sit down and watch at home. That's kind of weird. I think it's kind of a thing you experience in a, like a big screen setting. Yeah, and it's weird that not a single Marvel movie has come out this year. That
5: is weird. We're gonna have
3: to wait a whole other year for one. That feels like a weird kind of thing to think about. It's been that long since we've experienced one. Oh, no, you're going to get sad. I'm getting emotional again. (laughs) Not again. (laughs) And we're going to end the podcast before I start crying. All right. I got to give my Instagram shout out of the week. And I'm actually going to go and do a shout out from the reviews.
5: Nice review. A
3: nice review. It's a five star review. The review is titled Mike is great. Now, this isn't a self-serving thing. It just happens to be one that also gives you a compliment. Oh, it comes from Miss M. Proudly. Who left this review. All you have to do if you listen on Apple Podcasts is go and type a review. And this says, I love listening to Mike's thoughts on movies and also enjoy the addition of his fiance Kelsey. Although she did spell your name wrong, but I'm going to give her a pass because that's a great compliment. I'll take it. She said the podcast is a nice break from 2020 and politics. And amen to that. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. Thank you, Kelsey, for hanging out with me. You're welcome. I'll talk to you guys next Monday here. And until then, later.